Hi, everyone. Welcome to the April 9th, 2021 edition of Colorado Inside Out. I'm your host, Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you so much for joining us. Let me give a little bit of explanation here before we get started. Uh, our wonderful technical team for this program has been able to pull off a variety of miracles. I won't go into all the details, but we have an extra panelist in person. You'll be able to see her in just a second. We have another panelist joining us remotely. All of this being uh, possible through some technical wizardry and back. So it's looking a little bit different than the last couple of weeks, but we're very excited to have you watching the show. In an unexpected turn of events this week, the 2021 Major League Baseball All-Star Game has been moved to Denver. The move comes after Major League Baseball pulled the game from Atlanta, Georgia, in response to the recent passage of new voting laws. Georgia's governor issued a retort saying Colorado's voter laws are just as restrictive as Georgia's, sparking a national debate on the inclusivity of voting procedures. With Patty out of town, our first panelist, uh, Eric Sonderman, thank you so much for being here, uh, a, a columnist with both the Denver Gazette and Colorado Politics. Uh, you are the closest thing we have to uh, a baseball analyst on this show. You are our George Will. So uh, whether it be baseball or Georgia voting laws or <laughs> politics in general, What's your take from the big uh, announcement from Major League Baseball this week? Well, it's a big burden to bear to be compared to uh, George Will in any way, uh, <laughs> given some of the technical changes you mentioned and some of the challenges we've had. We're late taping this show. Mm -hmm. I regard it as if we just had a rain delay. There you go. And now we're, uh, and, and now the, now we're playing ball here. Uh, yes, it was uh, notable. Georgia and Colorado seem to be linked a lot in the news recently between the tragic shootings uh, a few weeks back um, and now this. I think it is a hard case to make. Well, uh, two thoughts. One, I don't think this decision had a lot to do. The, the pulling of the game from Georgia was very much about politics and voting process. The giving of the game to Colorado and to Denver I don't think was primarily a comment on our voting system or our voting laws. I think it was more some internal politics uh, and decisions within Major League Baseball. Uh, I think it is a hard case to make. The, the Georgia law is more nuanced than it's being presented, but it is a hard case to make that, that somehow their system is better or even on a par with Colorado. When we have universal mail voting where everyone routinely and ra rather effortlessly gets their ballot in the mail. It's a hard case to make that somehow our system is inferior. Lastly, I happened to be at home last night, get a phone call, a poll from the Republican National Committee on this issue. And I just listened to the first question before hanging up. And how is this for a fair recitation of a question? Quote, unquote, given the chaos of the 2020 election, do you believe election integrity is vital to free and fair elections? So uh, that is very much of a straight, non-biased poll that the Republican National Committee had no interest in stacking the deck on. Well, uh, she was going to join us remotely. She was kind enough to be able to join us right here in the studio due to our technical issues. Susan Green, uh, reporter, editor, and coach at Colorado News Collaborative, thank you so much for being here. Uh, Susan, do you think this is, while it's a baseball decision, will it, ha will it foster a national discussion of voting rights? Um, I you know, in fairness, I have to say it wasn't the venue for the um, All-Star Game that 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 triggered this um, debate. It was this obscene uh, voter suppression bill passed um, by the Georgia legislature and uh, um, approved and signed into law by Governor Kemp. Um, anyone, and I agree with Eric, this was not about you know our voting laws being particularly good, but. 
as it happens, they are particularly good, and we should be very proud of that. You know, we have incredibly convenient elections without fraud, and um, I really hope that it didn't take like major league baseball decision to um, get Coloradans to, or the rest of America to know that. That said, anyone, and there are many pundits lying, and you know, people on his push pull about our voting laws. Anyone who says our voting laws are as restrictive as Georgia's is flat out lying. Um, I have to say personally, I don't really care that much about where the the, the games are held, but um, sorry, but I do hope that the Department of Justice um, sort of takes a hard look at what happened in Georgia. Um, and Congress takes a really extra hard look at the Help America Kins Vote Act before a law like Georgia's um, or other laws, copycat laws that are being considered in other legislatures start to affect the 2022 election. David Kopel from the Independence Institute and DU Law School, thanks for being here. Uh, Colorado didn't get asked to be involved in a national voting rights conversation, but here we are. What do you think? Well, let's talk about some things that, that aren't true. One is the numbers that you've heard in the media about the supposed economic benefits of the all-star game. Sports economists have shown that the vast majority of spending for sports in general, but for this game in particular, is just the moving around local spending. People, Coloradans, will spend more money in, lo in lower downtown and less money on businesses and entertainment and leisure elsewhere in the state. So there's, in, in that respect, there's, there's no net economic gain. Uh, another bogus idea is that Major League Baseball actually cares about voting rights or racial justice. If it did, they wouldn't have been just making deals with the communist tyrants of Cuba and China. These countries don't have elections, and the only reason those regimes are still in power is they have a monopoly on guns. The Chinese Communist Party is right now perpetrating genocide against racial minorities and enslaving them. And Major League Baseball is happy to be the business partner of genocide heirs and slave owners. The idea that minor improvements in Georgia voting laws, such as the new laws increasing the number of days for early voting, is some sort of racist Jim Crow has been debunked by the Washington Post, which gave President Biden the maximum score of four Pinocchios for his lies about the law. According to polls, 73% of black, vote, black people support voter identification laws. Major League Baseball, you go to pick up tickets at the uh, will call window, you have to show an ID and same if you want to buy a drink inside the ballpark. The truth is that Major League Baseball attendance in 2019, before the pandemic, was the lowest it had been since 2003. And the 2020 World Series had the lowest TV viewership since they started keeping track back in 1973. And now that Major League Baseball has officially let the world know that it likes communist dictators and despises Republicans, they will have many millions fewer fans. We're going to go remotely to our guest, Penfield Tate. Penn, an attorney with state law and a former state lawmaker. It's great to have you on the program. Thank you for your patience for getting everything worked out. Uh, Penn, uh, I don't know if what uh, the Major League Baseball decision is going to make any changes in Georgia law uh, is going to affect them, but it's certainly sparking a national conversation. What's your take on the headlines this week? Uh, you know, Dominic, good to be here with you. It, it, it is going to spark a national conversation for a few reasons. I agree with Eric in to a to a very limited extent with with David that 
that the Georgia law is far more nuanced than it's uh, being um, covered. But no one can dispute the fact that the motivation and intent behind was to reduce voter turnout in communities of color because um, uh, Biden's win in Georgia, as well as electing two Democratic senators, um, is what prompted uh, the legislation in the first place. And I also agree that um, Colorado's election laws isn't what brought the, the all-star game here. I suspect it was just our time. Uh, what I do think will happen is that um, the move by Major League Baseball and, frankly, comments by other um, corporate leaders and, and organizations criticizing the Georgia law are going to, to require state legislators to take a closer look at the legislative action they're taking with regard to elections and understand that there may be a broader ripple effect uh, on their local jurisdictions and economies as well. And hopefully that will drive a different and more holistic conversation about access to the ballot box, which is an American right and ought to be protected and ought to be encouraged to the greatest extent possible. A coalition of environmental groups is issuing a request for Governor Polis to remove Colorado's Director of Air Pollution Control Division, Gary Kaufman. The groups claim the director has been ordering staff to falsify records in order to illegally approve permits for companies regardless of whether they adhere to air pollution restrictions. Susan, we start with you on this one. Uh, this is a big request, and knowing Governor Polis's background, uh, it should be influential. Do you think we'll see a change? Well, it's interesting. Um, these investigations into whistleblower complaints don't just happen overnight. So if Kaufman or someone else's head should roll, no one's head is going to roll immediately because allegations of um, tampering with information or falsifying documents or messing with the air quality model, you know, don't, don't just happen overnight. It is interesting, just some of the language around it, the lawyer for the whistleblower said the victims here is everyone who breathes um, air in Colorado. And, you know, I think that message is particularly powerful in a year when people are having, you know, respiratory problems from COVID, when fires, wildfires are expected to be as bad, if not worse, as they were last year. I think there's a frustration and maybe a desire for some prompt action. Um, but in, in the meantime, I, I, Polis and all the news coverage around this have sort of let given Polis a pass about his silence, and it's been sort of crickets from the administration. And about Mr. Kaufman in particular, I am kind of curious how it happened that a governor who purports to care so much about air quality, um, and in many ways has done things that, that do back that up, has um, Kaufman, who actually worked for the division but went to work for a white shoe uh, law firm that, you know, um, defending oil and gas and um, mining interests who are really the big sort of bad actors in this air pollution um, control world, how he ended up back running this division um, in the first place. And so I, for one, would like to hear a little bit more about why the police administration, which again purportedly cares so much about this, um, has a man facing these allegations with that kind of background. David, as uh, Susan points out, this is something that would 
theoretically be getting Governor Polis' attention. We haven't seen it yet. Do you think there are moves to come? Well, for the record, he came from Holland and Hart, which is the same law firm that Jason Crow uh, came from. And long ago, I was a library assistant at Holland and Hart, and I can guarantee you I never saw anyone wearing white shoes. Uh, I also worked for the uh, uh, Colorado Attorney General's office where my client was the Colorado Department of Health in their hazardous waste and super fund, which is not the same as, as air quality, uh, but it, I understand the, the complexity of the laws they're enforcing. Reading the complaint, which by the way, we should name the organization that, that brought this forward, was the uh, uh, Public Employees for Environmental Responsibility, which represents and seeks out whistleblowers in, in all kinds of states on, on environmental issues. If, if you read their complaint, it's very powerful and talks about a guidance document that was tentatively put up and then, then taken down without explanation. The conflict seems to be that th you can monitor air at a site you know, over the course of how much pollution is going to go in in the course of a year versus how much, what's the maximum that might come out in any single hour. And the air quality division seems to be saying if their annual output is going to be well within limits, then we're not going to require or uh, take into account the fact that over a one-hour period uh, there might be a particularly high output. And I don't know the air pollution laws to say whether that's right or wrong legally. The complaint seems to say it's very wrong legally, but Governor Polis's office put out a statement that said, there are no federal or state laws in place governing the threshold to have modeling done for minor source permitting. So in the governor's view, the uh, Department of Health Air Quality Division is and always has been in full compliance with all the applicable laws. Penn, do you think this is a larger political problem? I mean, here's someone, and it's a claim from a group, so again, it's not a, a, a legal document per se, but you know, claiming falsifying, falsification of records, illegally approving permits, uh, this isn't just a policy fight, this is a, a pretty big claim. Do you think Governor Polis will have a larger reaction ahead? You know, I think he will have a larger reaction ahead, but uh, this is one of those, it, it seems like, and I don't know a lot about the details, but it's one of those tough situations because there are a couple of variables that need to be sorted out. And, and David alluded to one. First, uh, there needs to be clarity on what's the applicable standard and are there different ways to ascertain if the standards been exceeded or somehow violated. And it appears that that's not um, clear, uh, absolutely clear yet. Second, which is the, the, the heart of the claim, which is significant is, uh, being able to prove that someone intentionally falsified records or had induced others to falsify records or reports so that activity that was not in compliance with the standards was deemed compliant or rewritten to make it appear to be compliant. Uh, if both of those line up, the governor is going to have a lot of explaining to do. Eric, politically, is I mean, Governor Polis has a lot on his plate right now. Does he, does he, you know, push this to the side because he has that uh, ability to do so, or is this something where his uh, this wing of the party is going to hold him accountable to this issue? I don't think he can completely push this aside. I don't think it's agenda item number one, obviously, on his list. But, but the Polis administration and Governor Polis' style is somewhat of a micromanaging style. Uh, he believes he has the bandwidth and capacity to be 
to dig deep into every agency of state government and, and, and manage at some level. And so he's going to have to address this. The allegations are very serious ones, as uh, my fellow panelists have mentioned. Um, and uh, obviously they grab your attention. Uh, hopefully there'll be a resolution here. I think maybe everyone can reduce the rhetoric a little. I know one of the uh, representatives of the, of the whistleblowers, and I t tend to take whistleblowers seriously, uh, but one of the representatives compared this, quote unquote, this is our Flint, Michigan. And you know that struck me as a little hyperbolic, a little over the top. Maybe let's sort this out. As the attorneys here, David and Penn, point out, let's see what the standards are, the standards ought to be. Let's see if there was favoritism granted or laws overlooked, and let the chips fall where they may. On Wednesday, Denver District Attorney Beth McCann announced the results of a study determining whether or not there was inherent racial bias in the decisions made by the DA's office. The study found no prevalent issues with racial bias. However, a few areas of improvement were identified. It was determined that cases with black defendants were more likely to be dismissed than those with white defendants, but in cases not dismissed, white defendants were more than twice as likely to receive a deferment than black or Hispanic defendants. Uh, David, we start with you on this one. Uh, there's a lot to unpack here. What's the highlights that we need to know? Well, as the authors of the study said, the, because of the pandemic, they weren't able to get full access to the records on, on drug cases, uh, which is about a third of what the Denver DA's office does. Um, and the studies looked at the variables of the defendant's age, sex, and the severity of the, the case charged, which are important, but that emits a lot of other variables, like what was the defendant's prior criminal record, how long's the last previous time the defendant was ar arrested, you know, what in the defendant's record indicates that if, say, given a deferment, the de uh, defendant has a chance of success at that, such as having a, a record of employment, uh, being involved in supporting his or her family, and so on. Um, if, if the statistics in, uh, prove racism, then you've got to say the Denver DA's office has a very inconsistent racism policy because it's biased for blacks and against whites and Hispanics at the dismissal stage. And then at the plea bargain stage, it's biased for whites, out for whites and blacks, and against Hispanics because uh, Hispanics get the least plea bargain uh, steps in reduction. And then at the deferral stage, the district attorney's office is biased for uh, for Hispanics and whites and against blacks. And to me, that seems like more like random statistical variation. Uh, otherwise, the uh, the DA's office is a quite sophisticated uh, three-tier system of different discrimination for different groups at different times. Penn, what did you make of the report from the DA's office? You know, I, it, I think it's a good beginning, and I think it is that. I, I think additional work needs to be done in the entire, you know, criminal management system. Uh, you have to begin really with the input process, which is the officers on the street. And we have talked a number of times about issues there, but who gets um, charged, who gets approached, who ultimately gets taken in and, and, and lined up, and who gets... Um, um, charged with something is one uh, statistic. You don't see the number of people who get warnings or the number of people who get who are given a pass by law enforcement on the street. And, and so there's long been believed to be a disproportionate impact in terms of who initially gets put into the criminal court system to begin with. Um, the fact that um, that, that some of the records weren't available or data was difficult to access due to the pandemic 
probably warrants a need to take a look at this data in another year or two when things start to normalize a little bit and see what's going on there. Uh, the other thing we need to look at is whether people are overcharged, um, whether um, some defendants are more inclined to get um, charged with more severe penalties than others, uh, resulting in the need to dispose of them or, or otherwise uh, plead them down. Uh, at the end of the day, from my point of view, I, I at least think we, we have to commend the DA for undertaking this study and attempting to understand what happens um, through her office and with her subordinates. But I would also say the, a word of caution, this isn't the end of the story. More work needs to be done and, and this process needs to be an ongoing evaluation process. Eric, politically, where do you think Denver goes from here as a city? Is this something that stays in the DA's office? Does the mayor get involved? Is, is it a bigger deal? I don't know exactly how it plays out. I'll identify with uh, some of what David said and some of what Penn said. Penn first in terms of the importance of this. I think in this era, perhaps, you know, uh, as a society, as a culture, we are making even more than we should of group identity, group categorization. Uh, I can be somewhat of a broken record on the issue. That said, if there is one sector where those questions particularly need to be asked and answered, it is certainly the sector of law enforcement, the administration of our laws, policing, prosecuting, sentencing, and all the rest. So uh, kudos for at least raising the issue, asking the questions, doing the research. I do identify with David's comments, though, in terms of the results of this study being remarkably inconclusive and not really pointing in any specific concrete direction. That doesn't mean there aren't other issues there. Penn raised the issue of whether there's overcharging going on by ethnicity, by skin color. Let's look at that. But this particular study, or at least the, 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 the summary of this particular study, struck me as something of a nothing burger. Susan, you've done a wide range of uh, reporting when it comes to the judicial system, both in the country and specifically in Colorado and Denver. What's your take when you saw this study? Nothing, Burger, just like Eric said. Um, this is one of those studies that you know, should not be making news without a, a broad array of context around it. Um, to be clear, this, this study was from 2017 to 2018, summer to summer. Um, 2017 was the year that Beth McCann took office. Um, so I'm not sure really what it says about what she has done in that office um, to begin with. Uh, it, it ignored what is a key problem here, as Penn said, frivolous and excessive charges. Um, those um, most data in Colorado and every other state shows vast disparities in the numbers of charges and the levels of charges um, against people of color versus white people. Um, this issue of, of not prevalent problems, I mean, the study did find that if you're white and you're charged with a, a serious drug crime, um, or if you're charged with a drug crime, your um, case is twice as likely to go to drug court, which is bound to be much more lenient and understanding and have a, a context of addiction and, and all those manners than um, if you're Latino or black when, you know, you're more likely to have your case go to district court. So I think that's a huge problem. And as Penn said, 
you know, there's a forest from the trees issue. The big issue here is who's arrested, who's brought into the system, whose case ends up on the desk of these prosecutors in the DA's office. Um, the state did a multi-year study, I want to say a five-year study, um, showing, and this is statewide, not, not Denver, but I don't think the Denver numbers are that different, that um, you're twice as likely to get arrested if you're black or, or Latino than if you are white. And you can't possibly take a sober and clear look at this criminal justice system without understanding who's brought into the system to begin with. It is time for our very favorite part of the show, Disgrace of the Week. Uh, we've been a little chatty today, which is good, uh, but let's get to our bumper sticker edition of Disgrace of the Week. Eric, you get the honors with Miss Calhoun being out of town. You go first. Oh, so many options. The Colorado Department of Corrections for offering its employees $500 bonuses to get the COVID vaccine. I think there ought to be enough incentive out there to get the vaccine of your own will, uh, and if need be, to make it a requirement of the job. I don't think we need to be uh, selectively passing out bonuses. Susan. My disgrace of the week is the disgrace of the last five months. It's the government of Ethiopia and what it's doing in terms of ethnic cleansing of the Tigrayan people. I give a lot of kudos. There are many, many um, Ethiopians in Colorado, many Tigrayans, and I give a lot of credit um, to those who are really trying to raise the level of awareness about this, especially in Colorado. David. And kudos to Susan and also the Aromo or another persecuted group in, in Ethiopia. Uh, President Biden named uh, David Chipman to be the uh, next head of the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco and Firearms. That's kind of like hiring Ann Coulter to be in charge of, of immigration. Uh, I was on a uh, national commission with him on, on working on red flag laws. And I said, we want to, I'm in favor of these laws. We want to make sure we don't accidentally disarm innocent people. And he said, oh, don't worry about that. They can just buy a toy gun uh, to scare away a criminal. I said we should have uh, strong rules on no-knocks uh, so that you don't have these things routinely served by no-knocks when there's no good cause. He said, don't tell the police how to do their jobs. Well, actually, constitutions and statutes do exactly that. And uh, the first thing on his uh, historical resume is his role in the Branch Davidian uh, uh, fiasco in Waco, Texas, where the uh, ATF, which he was part came in shooting to serve a search warrant and then strafed uh, uh, the roof of a building uh, where children were inside uh, with machine guns. Penn, we go to you for your disgrace of the week. The national uh, continuing disgrace of Congress to fail to, to sit down and set, part, set partisanship aside and come up with a fair, equitable, and comprehensive uh, system of immigration laws and reform uh, leading to a tragedy of 19,000 kids at the U.S.-Mexico border. Uh, that is wholly unacceptable, and we ought to be uh, nationally embarrassed. Say something nice, actual bumper stickers. Eric. <laughs> Douglas County School Board for nominating or naming four finalists for the superintendent position unlike their counterparts in Jefferson County and Cherry Creek and probably Denver to come, which are doing the single finalist route. That's, a, that's an enormous bumper. Let's go to Susan. Um, oh, you got me all like flummoxed. So I would say a house bill that would offer adolescents in Colorado um, three free um, therapy sessions if they need it. I've been working for almost the past year on um, on mental health issues, and every expert says the group that they are most worried about are adolescents. Um, 
That is perfect. No, that's good. David, go ahead. The royal consort, Prince Philip, who served his nation with dignity and stoicism and set a great example for everyone. Penn, we go to you. The blue wall cracks is evidenced by um, the trial and the murder of George Floyd and what's happening where law enforcement is standing up and, and doing the right thing. Amen. Thank you to this crew for making this show possible. Thank you for watching. For everybody here at PBS 12 and Colorado Inside Adam Dominic Zudi, thank you so much for watching. Good night.